please do. Either way, if you need to be seated, that's fine, okay, as well. Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 54. It's on page 614. If you would like to use a Bible from the church, there should be one on the back of the pew in front of you. Isaiah chapter 54. My plan is to read the whole chapter for us and then spend a few moments together considering this passage. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, who, uh, you who have, uh, uh, have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and, and, and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Do not be confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth, he is called. For the Lord has called you like a deserted, like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, and with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your God, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore to the waters of Noah, should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on me. Oh, afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antinomy and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate and your gates of carbuncles and all your wall of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. And great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. 
I have also created the ravenger to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall confute every tongue that raises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. There's no word like your word. And now we pray as you would show us wonderful things in this word by your spirit, that you would change us, that you would ignite our hearts to praise you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this summer we've been looking at Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. We've been taking that passage a little bit at a time and unpacking that. It's a wonderful passage that focuses our attention upon Jesus. It's a, it's a prophecy. The things recorded in Isaiah 53 and 52 were written down some 700 plus years before they actually unfolded, but they were prophecies concerning Jesus who is identified in that passage as the suffering servant. They, it depicts um, uh, the sufferings that Jesus would experience at the cross and the sufferings that he would experience in his life leading up to the cross. As we, as we sang a little bit earlier, he truly was and is, as this passage has taught us, the man of sorrows. And yet, Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12 also reminded us of a thing or two about the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ that began at the cross and went way beyond the cross through a resurrected life. We began also from Isaiah 52 and 53 to consider some of the results or outcomes that uh, not only for Jesus personally, but for what he purchased and acquired and accomplished for his believing people. And now as we look this morning for a, a, just a bit at Isaiah 54, we, we see even a, a clearer picture of some of the blessed, sweet results that come to Jesus' believing people. Two things I want us to think about this morning from this passage. They're noted there in an insert, if that's helpful to take that out and follow along. It's not required. First of all, I want us to note something of the restoration by the suffering servant. And then we'll spend just a little bit of time um, looking at um, the response to the suffering servant. Now, textually, it's actually the response that's listed first, but we're going to ignore that for a moment. And uh, we're going to leapfrog over uh, some of the things mentioned in verse 1, and we're going to look at some other things in verse 1 and the verses that follow that, that describe to us what I'm calling the restoration by the suffering servant. And there are three pictures that comprise Isaiah 54, 1 through 17. Three pictures that are, will function as metaphors for us. This, uh, pictures that describe, if you would, a before and after shot of um, this is what we were like before Jesus, and this is what we are now like 
in Jesus. This is what people who don't know Jesus are, are, are what they look like from God's perspective. And now here's what people who belong to Jesus look like from God's perspective. And these three pictures, the first two pictures in verses uh, 1 through 10 are pictures of, of a woman. And, and even that gets broken down. The, the first picture is a picture of a woman, but in the first four or five, the first four verses, it is of a barren woman. And then in verses 5 through 10, it is the picture of an abandoned woman. And, and then when we get there, starting in verse 11, it's the, it's the picture of a deserted city. So let's take, at those, take a look at those one at a time. Verse 1, sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. Now, earlier, in fact, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah likens Israel because of their disobedience to the Lord. He likens them unto a barren woman. They, they were not fruitful, uh, in a sense, because they were not faithful to the God who made them. And, 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 and yet they are descriptive of a barren woman. So, in, in a sense, we're not talking about a barren woman this morning. We're not talking literally about a woman who is unable to have children. And, and yet, as we think about that scenario, uh, what the scriptures is saying to us is people who do not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ are likened unto a barren woman. Think of the, and you and I know people who have been unable to have children who want children, and we, we think of the pain that they feel. We think of the profound sadness that overwhelms them. We think of even the sense of shame that they often feel. They feel like people look at them and say, what's wrong with you, you know? Uh, and, 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 while, and while that should not be the case, that's, that's nevertheless what it, what it sadly works out to and just increases the amount of pain that barren women feel. But here, this, he's likened Israel uh, to those who are uh, physically barren. And also, on the one hand, he's, he's, not, he's not talking about literal physical children. He's talking about Israel's state of existence severed, cut off from the goodness of God's blessing. All they feel is the pain and sadness of being cut off from the Lord. All they feel is the, is the, is the same kind of sad shame that, that, that many barren women might feel. And I would just say this morning that any and all who do not belong to Jesus, there's one way to know that you, your feelings are well calibrated. If you do not belong to Jesus and you feel sad, and pained and shamed, you are feeling correctly. And, and yet this, this passage is giving us a before and after snapshot. Because the suffering servant has come, because he's faithfully done the work that Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12 has described, then everything is different for the barren one. Uh, there, there's now an explosion of life the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who was married, says the Lord. Back in 
chapter 53, verse 10, speaking of the outcome of the suffering servant, it says in the last part of verse 10, uh, he shall he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The imagery there is that, is that while Israel is likened unto a barren woman, but if Israel turns to Jesus, and any and all this morning who would turn to Jesus are no longer in the state of a barren woman with the pain and the, and the sadness and the shame, but, 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 but now the very offspring of the Messiah will be accounted as the offspring of this barren woman. In fact, verse 2 is even, I, 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 in my own twisted sense of humor, it's almost comical in, 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 as it describes there in verse 1, the, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. And so he gives advice. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your inhabitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cord and strengthen your stakes. In other words, you're going to have to build a bigger house. You've got so many kids. Now, the, the house that my mom lived in when she was a little girl was a one-room house. Now, that's not at all how I remember it. When I used to go to Grandma's house, um, it, by the, my, my last memory of it, because it kept growing, it was a nine-room house. Still the same house. But as Mom explained it to me later, when she was a little girl, it was a one-room house. The beds, the kitchen, well, it just... Everything was right there in that one room. But, uh, but eventually, Grandpa built a front porch on that one room. Uh, and, and then eventually, he, uh, he, he blocked off, roomed in that front porch. And, and so it became a two-room house. And then eventually, he built a, a back porch to that house. And eventually, that back porch became another. In other words, we, uh, we could go on. You get the point. In other words, uh, uh, when, when mom was the oldest of nine kids, uh, but after a while, you're going to have to expand the place. It's going to have to get bigger. And that's the imagery that he's painting here. Oh, you barren one. You're going to need a bigger house. It's just a sweet, warm description of the before and after, the difference that the Lord Jesus makes. The, the, the fear and the shame, verse 4, uh, is removed. Uh, it, it, build a bigger place and, 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 the, and, and your, your fear and your shame will be replaced with honor and fruitfulness. And this is not God's people making themselves honorable and making themselves fruitful. This is a picture of what the Lord does uh, to his, for his people. He takes his people's shame and fear and he swaps out that shame and fear with honor and with fruitfulness. Jesus does this for us and for his people. And yet as he pivots from this barren uh, woman, there in verse 5, he pivots and describes a woman from another angle. People without Jesus are not only analogous to barren women, but people without Jesus are analogous to an abandoned wife. Here's how he sets this up. For your maker is your husband, verse 5. The Lord of hosts is his name. Then the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord 
has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. Now, do you see what, see what he's saying? He's saying, to, he's saying to Israel, I've been your husband. But in this current state of experience, you are like a deserted, grieving, cast-off wife. Your husband's abandoned you. Say, wait a minute, but you just said that the Lord was their husband. That's right. So when we describe here in this scenario uh, that, that Israel is likened unto an abandoned wife, when you, when you look into the backstory, if you would, when you look elsewhere in Isaiah, the reason that Israel is currently, was currently an abandoned wife is because she had been playing the role of a harlot. The Lord left her for a season because she had turned her back on the Lord and had gone after other lovers. And yet those other lovers didn't care a thing about her and didn't provide for her and take care of her. And those other lovers just left her in this state of being um, uh, uh, ab abandoned and deserted and grieved and saddened by being deserted. It says there, uh, verse 7, for a brief moment, I deserted you. In verse 8, in overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. Oh, and the sweet thing is, I mean, those are jarring statements, but the sweet thing is it, there's more in play here than, than, than those sobering statements of the Lord saying, um, I deserted you. I, I, I hid my face from you because I was angry with you. Because he couples that, for a brief moment I deserted you, verse 7, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. In, in, in light of the consequences of Israel's unfaithfulness, the, the Lord granted Israel to feel and to taste a, a bit of the abandonment of the Lord that they had abandoned. All who do not belong to Jesus, this is one way to know that your experiences and feelings are calibrated right. You feel deserted and abandoned. You feel as though there is no one who truly cares for you and understands you. In a strange way, that's a good place to be in because in that context, you get to see something of the magnanimous love that Jesus has for his people as a loving husband who gathers back his unfaithful wife who seeks out and commits to, covenants to here, even in this passage, um, uh, his unfaithful 
life. He says, with great compassion, I will gather you. Um, with everlasting love, I will have compassion upon you. Uh, it, it goes on in verse 10, for, uh, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love will not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Because the suffering servant came and did his work, the suffering servant now is in a season of gathering back his people whom he likens unto an unfaithful wife. His anger has burned. It's a just and holy anger. And, and, and yet he has satisfied that anger by dumping that anger upon the suffering servant himself. That's really what Isaiah 53, 52, 13, and 53, 12 has honed in on and focused in on. Look at, look at uh, dipping back into verse 50, chapter 53 for a moment. Look at verse 7, 8, 9. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that it, before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he is taken away. Uh, and and as for our generation who considered that he was cut off from the hand of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich, rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. In other words, the suffering servant experienced the full brunt of being deserted as though he had been the unfaithful harlot. And yet he wasn't the unfaithful harlot. It's a mixture of metaphors here, but he was actually the faithful husband pursuing his unfaithful wife by laying down his life and absorbing the anger of God, the justice of God in place of his unfaithful wife. And in so doing, he, he does what's described here in verse 10 of chapter 54. Um, uh, he establishes a covenant of peace do you realize because of the work of Jesus on the cross all who are trusting in Jesus have gone from this posture of being under the condemnation and curse of God's anger to being brought near to God and reconciled and now living in a state of peace with the God who made us Peace established and peace maintained because of the sufficient work of Jesus on the cross. Every bit of judgment and anger that the Lord would otherwise have for you, justly have against you, it has been drained and dumped on Jesus who has absorbed the full brunt of God's justice for us and in our place and on our behalf so that we are no longer in the status of not only barren woman, but we are no longer in the status of abandoned wife. 
We have now been rescued by our husband, even in the face, face of our unfaithfulness toward him. But there's a third image that he gives here in this passage, in the sense he really makes a big jump in metaphors, beginning in verse 11. The first two were pertaining to uh, a woman. Uh, and now this last one, is, as I try to make sense of the descriptions here, is really likened unto a city. We are, any who do not belong to Jesus are likened unto a barren woman. Any who belong to Jesus are likened unto an abandoned wife. And, and any who, belong, who do not belong to Jesus, do not belong to Jesus, are likened unto a deserted city. Rundown, desolate, unfortified. And yet, when Jesus gets done, because of the work of the suffering servant, that rundown, desolate, abandoned city becomes alive and, and active and adorned and fortified and prosperous and beautiful. Oh, afflicted one. So we've shifted from barren one to afflicted one. O oh, afflicted one, verse 11, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antinomy and lay your foundation with sapphires, I, I, and I will make your pinnacles of agate and your gates of carbuncles and, and all your wall of precious stones. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fortify you. And, and, and in fortifying you, I'm going to beautify you. This is what Jesus does to his people. This is what he does for his people. Because of the suffering servant, we no longer have to remain as run-down, desolate, abandoned, uh, ugly uh, urban areas, if you would, cities. Because of what Jesus has done. He says in verse 14, In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppressed. For you shall not fear, and from terror it shall not come near to you. A rundown, unfortified city is a sitting duck for attack and destruction and havoc. What he's saying is that you no longer have to feel that sense of oppression. You no longer have to feel that sense of terror uh, because I, I, I have... I have rescued you as an, as an abandoned city is rescued and, and rebuilt and refortified and rebeautified, well protected. It's really the, even the imagery in verse 17. And, and, and no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. Now, uh, maybe I don't want to overplay this, but really what it is acknowledging is that there will be weapons fashioned against you. If you belong to Jesus, we have an enemy who don't like you no more and who's coming after you. But the rest of the story is that while that's a reality, the, the, the fuller reality is that no weapon that is fashioned against us will succeed. Every weapon fastened against God's people is destined to fail. Not because we are mighty and we are strong, but because the suffering servant has rescued us. 
and is fortifying us and is beautifying us and is flourishing us. These are things that we don't do our own self. These are things that Jesus does for his people because he came and suffered and bled and died. He's now alive and he now fortifies and beautifies and prospers his people. We are protected. Or the language of verse at the second part of verse 17, and you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. You and I still blow it. But belonging to Jesus is a game changer because what that means is every single accusation that we could level against you that would otherwise stick, it will no longer stick. Because Jesus has bore up under the curse, the penalty of that. Yes. And so we, we confute those who set in judgment on us as believers in Christ Jesus. Because every charge leveled against us that is a, even a legitimate charge has already been paid for. It's already been punished in the sufferings of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. So do you see the imageries that are being, and i just done these briefly, just quickly drive-bys. It's just like, so this is what people are without Jesus. They are like barren women. They are like abandoned wives. They are like broken down cities. But people who belong to Jesus are no longer barren women. People who belong to Jesus are no longer abandoned wives. People who belong to Jesus are no longer broken down cities. How should we respond to these things? Well, now we go back and look at the first word in verse 1 of chapter 54. Sing. single barren one who did not bear. And in beautiful Hebrew poetry, it just, it, it doubles back down and hits it with, with another line. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. What is our response to the Lord's blessings? What is our response to grappling with the reality that we were once like barren women. We, we were once like a rejected wife. We were once like a rundown, abandoned city. But no more. And as our heart feels the joy of this changed reality, then our heart is directed to sing. As Brian, we, we, didn't like, we didn't like to coordinate this. I didn't like give him a script of what to say, but Brian wasn't sure if he should laugh or cry. And, 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 and maybe that same sort of mood is reflected here. I mean, if you, were, if you once were a barren woman, but you now have children, uh, as you sing about that, are you singing with tears or are you singing with laughter? Verse 2. 
if you once were a rejected wife with no one to love you and care for you and provide for you, but, but now your husband has come back and you're now well-loved and well-cared for. Do you, do you cry or do you laugh? If you were once a broken-down, deserted city, but now you've been rebuilt and beautified, do you, do you, do you laugh or do you cry? You see, our first response, not our only response, but the only response that this text gives to us, the first response to what the Lord does for his people, what the Lord is doing for his people, and what the Lord will do for his people is that his people respond with praise and thanksgiving. Happy songs to our God. Happy songs about our God. You know, I, I live in this little narrow world called pastoral ministry. It's, it's really not uh, much, but it's all I really know. And uh, it's so interesting to, you know, to read the intramural debates within, uh, within pastoral ministry world uh, as to uh, what really creates worship. And we've, we've so, like, we so like cheapened the conversation of worship today in our culture. We, you know, we're like pointy-headed pastor types. They sit around and they think, you know, well, what kind of lighting do they have? You know, the right kind of lighting, now that creates worship. Uh, or, you know, we, what, you know, what, you know, do we, do we have a smoke machine back here that we kind of create a mood? And, and that's, that's how the conversation has deteriorated. It's just, it's just, it's just all about uh, technique. As though if you just apply the right technique, you produce this thing called worship. Um, but I just get the feeling what you would, uh, Isaiah would say, huh? How do you create worship? You, you, you get in touch with reality. You see that you once were like a, a barren woman, uh, but, but, but now you had to build a bigger house. You, 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 you once were like a, a rejected wife, but, but now he has come home and loves you dearly, eternally. You, you once were like a rundown, broken city, and now you've been refortified and beautified. And if you see yourself now as a, 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 a fruitful woman and a loved wife and a rebuilt city, and you don't have to have the conversation of how do you create worship. You have the conversation of, tone it down, you're getting a little bit too excited about the Lord. You see, it's not what creates worship, it's who creates worship. And who creates worship is the Lord. When he reveals himself to his people and his people see him for who he is and for what he has done, then there is a launch code that explodes in our hearts with affections. They are stirred and they can't keep quiet. They can't keep settled. They realize what the Lord has done and gratitude floods our hearts and our souls. We sing because we're happy. We sing because we're free. I can't remember the rest of the song, but you probably remember it. You see, we gather mindful of a thing or two. We gather mindful that without Jesus, 
we would be as heartbroken and fruitless as a barren woman. We gather realizing that without Jesus, we would be as deserted and unloved as a rejected wife. We, we, we gather realizing that without Jesus, we would be an abandoned and broken down city, desolate and judged. And yet, we gather in Jesus' name. We gather trusting in Jesus. We, we gather and we just sing about it. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is your love. You take barren women and, 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 you, and you give us blessing and fruit. You, 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 you take rejected wives and you love us and care for us. You take broken down cities and you fortify us and you beautify us. For we gather not without Jesus. We gather with Jesus. We gather because of Jesus. We gather grateful, knowing that Jesus has come for us. Barren ones, rejected wives, broken down cities. And yet knowing what he has done for us by his work on the cross, we sing to him. We sing about him. We, 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 we sing. We, we, look for, we look for the texts that simply just become the vehicles by which our hearts leap and explode with gratitude for what this Jesus has done for us as barren women, rejected wives, and broken down cities. We sing like a barren wife who has a house full of kids. We sing like an, a rejected wife who is now well-loved and cared for. We sing uh, like an abandoned city that has now been rebuilt and beautified. We sing because our Jesus, in laying down his life for us, has accomplished these things and will be accomplishing his, these things for us. In fact, if you turn to the end of the book, isn't it so interesting that the two metaphors that's described there about what we're destined to experience in our future is that we're a lot like a beautifully adorned bride and we're a lot like a beautifully rebuilt Now, I realize that some people got here this morning and they don't got anything to sing about. And I, my heart, my desire is that I could point you to the one who would give you a reason to sing. My, my goal is to, in describing a thing or two about a before and after snapshot, is to hopefully I didn't set you back or offend you by calling you barren, deserted, and abandoned. But that, I, that if anything, I rightfully um, uh, pricked your heart and your soul so that you would be moved, that the Spirit of God would move you to run to Jesus, to trust only in him. For he has done for us, for our salvation, what no one else 
could ever do or would ever do. He has taken on flesh as the second member of the Godhead and became a man. He became the perfect man. He, he fulfilled every nook and cranny of righteousness. He's the only one that could make that statement as a man. And then he went to the cross where at the cross he bore up under sin and its punishment. He didn't do that because he had that coming to him natively. He did that willingly, gladly, because he would, he's willing to absorb the justice, the curse, the condemnation of God because of our sin on our behalf. And any, who, any and all who turn and trust in Jesus metaphorically become barren women with a house full of kids. We become abandoned, deserted wives who are now well-loved and cared for, uh, beautiful brides. We now become uh, uh, formerly abandoned cities who are now beautified and fortified. Turn to Jesus. Trust only in him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how your word not only accurately but emotively describes not only what we are like without your son Jesus, but what we can feel and experience and how we can consequently live by relying upon Jesus. And so our prayer this morning is that you would draw to yourself any and all who do not know Jesus. Take what I have said that's not been helpful to that end and just burn it up. But take what I've said that's pleasing to you and drive it into our, whole, our hearts. Oh, and Father, make our hearts glad in Jesus. We thank you for the gift of music. We thank you for the blessing of song. And we thank you for lyrics that extol the truth of who you are and what you do for your people. For we pray these things in Christ's name. If you're able, let's stand and sing together. <laughs>